Today we're taking a break from our series on the Sermon on the Mount this Sunday and next Sunday as we contemplate Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday. I invite you to take a Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 21. We're going to read verses 1 through 11. It's on pages 697 and 698 if you're following along in your pew Bible. Matthew writes these words. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone, if, anything, if anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken to the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thank you be, God. Have you ever had an experience where you met someone but you didn't really know who they were when you met them or the position or the office or title they held. And then you became aware of it. And in hindsight, that interaction with that person kind of forever changed how you would think about them. I've had one of those um, instances in my life. I was in seminary at Beeson Divinity School 40 or 50 years ago, it feels like. And I was out front at the library with some other seminarians. We were there. We were just talking, enjoying a normal day out of the library. And a guy walked up, had on a suit, but no tie. His collar was open. And he just walked up, started having a conversation with us, introduced himself. He said, hey, I'm Andy. How you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? And we kind of went on and I didn't think much about it until I figured out that Andy was Dr. Andrew Westmoreland. But in that moment, the president of the university seemed like some normal, nice guy walking across campus that decided he would interact and have a conversation with some seminarians there in front of the library. And that interaction with Dr. Westmoreland really shaped and forever changed how I thought about him as a person. I had the opportunity to see him in lots of different venues. I had the opportunity to see him preach in um, Hodges Chapel, where he got to wear much more than just um, a suit and kind of his uh, no tie. Get to wear those doctoral robes and those funny-looking hats. And as the president, you get to wear this really cool-looking medal around your chest. Or it graduation ceremonies, I saw him in different venues, but the venue 
the instance that really shaped my thinking of him as a person was there on a normal day in front of the library by the quad. And he would do this really interesting thing. Every year he would send you a birthday card and tell you that he prayed for you. And do you know what? I, I believe that he did. I believe that he really did pray for me because of the humility and the kindness that I experienced, the unassuming nature there in that moment changed the way I thought about him as a person from there on out. When Jesus rides into Jerusalem, the question that everybody's asking is, who is this? Who is this person who's riding into Jerusalem on the week of the Passover because Jesus had created quite a buzz. If you read the gospel accounts, Jesus did a lot of impressive things that got people interested in him. And sometimes they perhaps were interested because he could heal them. If they were sick or lame or blind or had some infirmity, they knew that if they could get to Jesus, perhaps he would be the one who would heal them. Maybe they would come because they were hungry and heard about the way that Jesus could multiply food and satisfy their stomachs. And so maybe their main thought about Jesus was as someone who could provide for their physical needs. And when Jesus comes into Jerusalem on what you and I call Palm Sunday, there's so much happening in Matthew chapter 21 that's kind of teeing up the people's expectations for who Jesus is. He comes humble and riding on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And for you and for me, perhaps we're like, okay, well, that's interesting choice. But you go back to Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, and there's this messianic expectation that the Messiah, the king, would come in in just this way. And so he comes in with these messianic expectations at a height Jerusalem is filled with people. If you were a faithful Jewish person and you lived kind of across the nation and you couldn't go to the temple all the time, one of the times that you would have tried to have come was on Passover week. So it's teeming with people. People are everywhere and there's this joy and this expectation and this excitement and in this context when they're being oppressed and controlled by the Romans. Perhaps there's this thought that maybe, maybe this is the Messiah that we've waited for. Maybe this is the king who will come in. And all our hopes and our desires will be fulfilled in him. So Jesus rides in. And obviously the Lord wanted you to hear Psalm 118 this morning. My apologies, Kelly. Right? This expectation that Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But if you go back and you read Psalm 118, and you read some good commentary on it, you'll notice that Psalm 118 is this psalm that would have been sung during Passover. It was loaded with all these expectations of all that God had done for his people. And you can read through the Old Testament over and over again where God's people would be defeated. It seemed like everything was over. God would redeem them. They would be defeated. It seemed like everything was over. God would redeem them. 
In Psalm 118, we see this phrase. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It was marvelous in our eyes. This would have been on the lips of the king, perhaps leading the people in triumphal procession to worship at the temple, acknowledging the ways that God had done this amazing work of salvation when everyone thought maybe it's over. The stone that the builders rejected, perhaps referring to all of the Israelites together when they went into exile, but God did not forsake them. He would bring them back into the land. They would be the cornerstone through whom God's work of salvation would come to pass. And as significant as Psalm 118 was then and for them, you and I on this side of the cross know that that is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. The stone the builders rejected. The one who would ultimately lay down his life on the cross would be the chief cornerstone in God's work of salvation. But it's almost like God's people didn't want to think about that whole rejection part. It's almost like you read that part of Psalm 118, you're like, eh, let's not focus too much on that. Or maybe Isaiah 52 through 53, where we talk about, or we read about Isaiah saying, there's going to come this one, this servant who is going to lay down his life on behalf of many. He'll bear their iniquities, and through faith in him, they will be righteous. Because you and I, we just, we would just rather avoid things like crosses. We would. We would rather avoid things like crosses. Because there's a part of me on Palm Sunday, I feel a tension. There is kind of this joy in our traditions that, you know, we wear crosses today made out of palms. And our kids come down forward and they're waving palm branches. And you can't help but think that's cute, right? And get caught up in the joy of the day and not think about where it is that this week is leading us. You could even come to church on Palm Sunday and then come next Sunday on Easter Sunday and be a really faithful attender, by the way, doing that. And if you're not careful, miss out on the significance of everything else that we're going to mark this week. Miss out on the significance of Jesus in the upper room with his disciples preparing to die and showing them what it looked like to serve others, ultimately pointing to the cross. You miss out on Good Friday. Jesus is raised up on the cross. And again, you and I, we struggle to wrap our minds around what it looked like for Jesus to be on the cross. What it looked like for him to be there in humiliation. Paying the penalty for our sins. But here's the thing about Jesus on the cross. If you and I, if we do not turn our eyes and see Jesus on the cross, you and I cannot see him and really understand the answer to the question, who is this? Who is this? 
Because there's a tendency in all of our hearts to think about Jesus as kind of a spiritual guru. Somebody who came into the world to kind of make our lives better in a myriad of ways. And Christianity can be co-opted to become this kind of self-help kind of religion if we're not careful. How do I have better finances or marriage or children or fill in the blank? And the cross keeps us from that. The cross keeps us and our eyes and our hearts focused on the truth that you and I are sinful people, that we're separated from God because of all that we've done and all that we've left undone. And the cross may be for us an example of laying down our lives. It may be for us an example of what love looks like. But the cross is so much more than just an example. In the cross, as Jesus laid down his life for us, God accomplished something. He accomplished something that you and I cannot accomplish in our own power or strength or wisdom. That great transaction happened so that you and I, through faith in him, may be clothed in the perfect righteousness of Christ. And you and I can only fully appreciate the significance of who Jesus is and all that he's done for us if we focus our hearts and our minds on all that he's done for us on the cross. Because in that moment, in that moment, Jesus is most beautiful to us. There's a book that, um, that I really like. It's one of my favorite books. I recommended it to a growth group, and I learned that maybe my favorite books aren't always everybody else's favorite books. That's fine. It's a book called Rejoicing in Christ. And in it, Michael Reeves talks about the significance of who Jesus is and what he accomplished for us through his life, death, and resurrection. And I'm going to do something that I don't do often because sometimes when you read a long passage, you lose people. But the passage is so rich that I'm just going to, I'm going to take a risk this morning. I'm going to invite you to lean in. And listen to what Michael Reeves says about Jesus on the cross. Out of sheer and boundless love for his bride, he took her sicknesses upon himself. With all the consequences of her sin, he took her ugliness that she might have his loveliness. And yet, it is in that very moment when he is made most physically appalling that he becomes most dear to us. Christ was never more lovely to his church than when he was most deformed for his church, wrote Richard Sibbs. For in his willingness to die our death and take our sufferings upon himself, he reveals the utter vigor and ardor of his love. And we are not the only ones stirred. For eternity the Father has an unsurpassable pleasure in his Son, but that delight overflowed when Jesus proved his character at the cross. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life, said Jesus. Like ours, the heart of the Father in heaven is inflamed with delight at his son's faithfulness and compassion. 
It all means that the cross is a place thick with irony and paradox. There the beautiful one is vile. The holy one is placed between criminals. The high and mighty one is lifted up, but to die. For on that day, so altogether different from his eternal life, Jesus proved most definitively who he is and what he is like. The centurion exclaimed, surely this man was the son of God. The soldiers crowned him with thorns, wrapped him in imperial purple, and worshipped him. Pilate put above his head the notice, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. They all spoke and acted better than they knew or in mockery, for it was all true. There was the Son of God, so being himself that even a Gentile executioner sensed it. On the cross, we see the bridegroom loving to death. The Lord of glory giving out his life, the Lord of hosts crushing Satan, the king enthroned, we see Jesus. This is who he is. Our hearts and our minds were tempted to turn away at things like crosses. We not want to look at death and executions and not think about all that Christ has done for us. But if we look away from the cross, you and I cannot see Jesus at his most loveliest. For it's there on the cross where you and I see most fully his compassion and his love for us. That he was willing even to die a criminal's death on a cross so that you and I might be reconciled to the Father and to each other. And it is that moment on the cross that ought to impact every way that you and I think about Jesus moving forward. Do you know that Jesus prays for you? Do you know that? Do you believe it? That Jesus prays for you. You believe that Jesus is grieved when you're grieved. You believe that Jesus hurts and weeps even when you weep. I think the way that you believe that most fully is by looking at what he's done for you on the cross. That he would spare no expense to be human in every way as we are, yet without sin, and pay that penalty for us. There's a website that I like to read. It's called Mockingbird. It's actually started by a guy named David Zoll. You probably know the Zoll family if you've been in Birmingham anytime. It's the Cathedral Church of the Advent. And I read an article that was very moving to me recently. It was written by someone who has cancer. It was a particularly difficult type of cancer to walk through life with and all the complications that went through it. and So the author reflected upon his struggle with cancer, but he told this one story. He was leaving one of his treatments one day. He was walking across the parking lot, and he saw two people in a truck. It's a man and a woman, presumably husband and wife. The wife's holding a bag for her husband. He was nauseous. And he said it was obvious this was not her first time to do such a thing. 
you've done this before. And he made this, this statement in the article that just whew, got me. He said she was not nearly as lovely on her wedding day as she was in that truck that day holding a bag for her husband who was ill. Made me think about Jesus and all the ways that our hearts are moved as we think about who he is and what he did as we work through things like the Sermon on the Mount and his teaching and his healing and his miracles. But ultimately, Jesus was never so lovely as he was on the cross, laying down his life for you and for me. So I pray for you during this Holy Week, and I pray for myself during this Holy Week. As we think about who Jesus is and what he's done for us. We look to the cross and his love. In anticipation of Easter Sunday to celebrate his resurrection. That the Lord would remind us who Christ is. The love that he's shown us on the cross. And that he would shape us to be those kind of people too. We lay down our lives for others in their need. They may experience the abundant life that God would have for them to know in Christ. I invite you to pray with me. God, we thank you for we thank you for Jesus. We admit that we are sometimes people who would much more willingly go to a parade and think about all that you've accomplished for us on the cross. We thank you for the significance of this Palm Sunday. Lord, we pray that you would help us not to reshape who you are as our Messiah, that we would not think about salvation in terms that are more comfortable to us, but that we would look fully at you upon the cross and that our hearts would be stirred to love you more. And that next Sunday when we gather in this room with a throng of people to celebrate your resurrection and your victory over death, Lord, we will do so having walked through this week and understanding more fully the significance of your love for us and that you would draw people to yourself as you were lifted up. We offer this prayer in Christ's name. Amen.